0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We should be every Sunday, right? But today in particular Sunday. There we go. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and we'll be ended up in 16. Uh, verse 16, we'll stop there, and we'll begin to unpack it from there. Chapter 9, verse 1 reads So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault with him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away from him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him, to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and they led him away. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning with broken hearts, Lord, but grateful hearts. Lord, how can we not read about how you were treated by those who hated you and scorned you, and mocked you, and rejected you. But Lord, let us look at ourselves this morning and examine our own hearts, and our own rebellion, when we were lost, enemies of God, haters of God. But you, Lord, in your mercy, granted us salvation through Christ our Lord. So Lord, we come this morning to celebrate the power of your resurrection. Thanking you, Lord, that if it wasn't for this reality, Lord, we'd all still be in our sins. We'd be of the most desperate of men. Open our hearts this morning, Lord, to hear what you would have to speak to us this morning, Lord. Let us get out of each other's way and out of our own way. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd remove any obstacle that would keep us from hearing your voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just prior to the chapter we just read, a little background up until this moment, we see that Christ was betrayed by Judas. In 18, verse 2, Judas then having received a band of men, offers from the chief priests and Pharisees came together with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus then asked them, He said, Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. In the original language, he is basically saying, I am that I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Then he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am He. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. And then we have to stop and literally ask ourselves this question this morning, which is always stunning, but absolutely leaves a person in absolute awe. Could this be none other than what we would say, Jehovah Jesus? Because we read in Exodus. 3.13 we see that Moses said to God indeed when I come to the children of Israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they say to me what is his name what shall I say to them and God said to Moses I am who I am and he said thus you shall say to the children of Israel I am has sent me to you. In Matthew 14, it says, And the boat was now in the midst of the sea, distressed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went away to them, walking upon the sea. And the disciples, having seen him walking upon the sea, were troubled, saying, Is this an apparition? Is this a ghost? And from the fear of God, they cried out. And immediately Jesus spake to them, saying, Be of good courage. I am he. Be not afraid. You see, he was the God who spoke to Moses through the fire. And he is the God that spoke to his disciples through the raging waters. They eventually bound him at this point, And they brought him to Caiaphas. And we notice here that Peter eventually denies Christ for the first time. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered him. He said, I spoke openly to the world. I'd always taught in synagogues and in the temple." where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by, Jesus struck him with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? And then we see here again, Peter denies him two more times. Then they led him to Pilate, and Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And then Pilate entered into the praetorium, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore asked him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is the truth? And when he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault with him at all. The title of this message this morning is taken from Uh, Chapter 19, verse 8, the conversation that happened between Pilate and Jesus when Pilate asked Christ this cryptic question saying, Where are you from? And as we have noticed through these two chapters, this has been the question. But Jesus said, I've never hidden anything from you. You know who I am. You know what I have been preaching. Nothing has been hidden from your sight. But obviously the Jews wanted Christ gone. And Matthew 27, 18 says that Jesus knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Hostility to Jesus has been mounting from the beginning of his ministry. The ongoing conflict from the religious leaders led up to this point. The Jews had stated to Pilate, they said, hey, we have a law respecting blasphemy. As we're making mention of Leviticus 24, 16 and Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, they had arraigned Jesus on the charge before the Sanhedrin and condemned him for it. And then in Matthew 26, actually they wanted to use the word of God to condemn the very word of God. Imagine that. Imagine these beggarly little creatures, these sinners, these men that were actually made by the very hands of God. Are now condemning the very word of God. But this was not the charge in which they had arraigned him before Pilate. They had accused him of sedition. In Luke 23.2. On this charge they could not get a guilty verdict from Pilate. So still bent on Christ's ruin. They now adduced the original accusation. On which they had already pronounced him guilty. And that was blasphemy. And that is making him himself out to be God. And if they could not obtain the condemnation by sedition as a rebel, they now saw it as a blasphemer, and they appealed to Pilate to sanction what they had believed was required by law. Thus, to Pilate himself, it became more manifest that he was innocent, that they had attempted to deceive him, and that the charge in which they had arraigned him was a more pretense to obtain his sanction to their wicked design. Pilate asked, where are you from? We must ask, why is this question imperative to us as believers? Why is it so important? Why is this question so important to them? What is the meaning behind all of this? Because Pilate was afraid. He had heard the accusations. And the Bible says that he was the more afraid, which made it even worse when Christ did not answer him, but instead remained silent. You think about Isaiah 53 7 said that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears was silent. We also notice how Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and also remained silent. In Mark 14 53 through 64, it says, And they led. Jesus awaited the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. And now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands." But not even then did their testimonies agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Same as Pilate's question. Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But the Bible says, once again, he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you God? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? This is the question. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the Bible says they condemned him to deserving of death. And when Pilate asked him the same question, where are you from? Jesus remained silent once again. And then Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Basically, how dare you remain silent? Don't you know I have the authority to take your life? Don't you know I have the authority to set you free? Maybe Paul's answer would have been, and 9.20 would suffice when he says, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? So what his form say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Or what about Colossians 1, 15-19 where it says, He is the image, speaking of Christ, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things, all things, Were created By Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. This is who he's speaking to, brothers and sisters. This is the audacity of the unbeliever in the face of God. Provoking Christ, telling Christ, I have the authority over you. I have the power to have you crucified or released. Speak to me. When Jesus answered, he said, you could have no power at all against me. Unless it, had, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Interesting, that very point was a turning point in Pilate's behavior. You know, many churches don't ever want to talk about sin and say Jesus never preached against sin. Right here's a very good, valid point that Jesus told him, and this would sober anybody up. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Then it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Why this particular verse, you may ask? Because this verse is what the very gospel of Christ hinges on. The question, where are you from, was in fact the ultimate question. Not only for Pilate's perspective, not just for the accusing Jews, not just for the world, but for us this morning. I would like to look at three critical points that are connected with Pilate's question, where are you from, in relation to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. I would like to look at his godhood, number one. Number two, I'd like to look at his death. And number three, I would like to look at his resurrection. Number one is godhood. His origin. Does Christ have an origin? Isn't that interesting. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? Where are you from, Jesus? What is your origin? How did you get here? What's your purpose? You see, many in those days had come out and called themselves the Messiah, but they're false, they were heretics. They were called out. But here's Christ. Our Lord, dealing with this question of his origin. We know Christ had an earthly origin in the sense we know his lineage and his ancestry. We know where he came from in that sense. But Christ's origin has no beginning and no end. He's God. He's the eternal Son of God. He didn't become God at his birth. He's always been God. And this is the question this morning that... Pilate was confronted with. The Sanhedrin were confronted with. But you've got to remember, these, these people had other motives. They had other motives. They wanted him destroyed. They plotted to kill him throughout the Word of God. They tried to kill him. They plotted against him earlier in the Scriptures. They want him removed. And today we're celebrating the resurrection of our dear Lord. But none of this would have any validity if Christ wasn't who he said he was. He was accused of blasphemy and sedition for the crime of claiming to be God. I hear people say sometimes, actually people on the streets and stuff will will come out and they'll say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus says that he's God. It's filled with points in the scriptures where he claims to be God. It's everywhere, but if you're dead in your sin, you're blind in your sin, you're not going to see this. But there's something about creation, the scriptures say in Romans, that all men know that God exists. We're made in the very image of God. We have a conscience. We know right from wrong. Every single person on the planet, whether they're a Believer or unbeliever, whether they're a Roman Catholic, whether they're a Buddhist, whether they're a Muslim, know that God exists. The true God of the scriptures. The triune God of the Bible. I'm not talking about a generic God. I'm talking about the triune God of scripture. All creation knows that this God exists. And they know they're condemned. And this is why you see the, the absurdity that's displayed in the world. See, absurdity that's displayed in the world doesn't testify that God doesn't exist. It only testifies that God does exist. If you go around the world, you study any kind of mission, missiology, and you look at all the missions that have taken place around the world into all the different tribes and different places throughout history, even the Druids in Ireland, you will see that they always had an inward burden for blood, for sacrifice. See, it's, it's, it's written upon our very being that something needs to die for us to be free. Blood needs to be shed somehow. And this is why when Christ came, he satisfied the whole total law of God. But also, he satisfied, as Romans, I think it's Romans um, chapter 2, 13 and 14, he satisfied also the law of the pagan. Where do you think these things come from? The idea of sacrifice. The idea of trying to meet satis- satisfaction because of your sin. It comes from the reality that all people know that God exists. The Bible says in Romans 1.19 that God has made it clearly seen. It's not obscure. All men know that God exists. But those who rebel are reduced to absurdity and behavior. Atheism is false. There's no such thing as an atheist. Because atheists have to borrow our worldview to fight against our worldview. is that weird? They have to borrow from us, steal from us in order to argue against us. The reality that atheism really is just a recognition that they believe in an objective God. And I'm not going to get too deep into that because that would take up the a, a whole hour. But I would like to focus this morning that the Godhead of Christ, the God. of Christ. His origin as being God, the eternal God, is what was on the table that day. In John 19, verse 7, it says, he ought to die. Why? Because he made himself out to be the son of God. This was the point that they were trying to say. He made him out to be God. And if Jesus was not the Christ, then we would have no resurrection. Therefore, we here today would have no salvation. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he said, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. In 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. It all banked on whether or not Christ was God. Because if he wasn't God, we have no gospel, and the resurrection doesn't matter. But because he was God, this is where he rose from the dead, because he was God. They tried to kill Jesus earlier in the book of John for the same reason. But Jesus said his time had not yet come. In John ten thirty, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, which is a statement basically once again claiming himself to be on equal terms with the Father, making himself out to be God. Jesus said in John three thirteen, no one has gone up into heaven except the one having come down from heaven. And who is that? The Son of Man. No human being comes down from heaven, ascends and comes down from heaven, except the Christ, the Son of God, who is God. In John 3.31, John the Baptist, when speaking of Jesus, says of him as well, He who comes from above is above all. The one who is only from the earth is of the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus understood that everything concerning himself, the gospel, and the mission of the church, hinged on this very question of the day when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I am who did the son who do men say that I the son of man am some said John the Baptist some said Elijah and some said Jeremiah and one said one of the prophets but then he said this because the entire mission of God the entire great Commission hinged On this one reality. And if you don't get it right. You're going to get everything else wrong. Who do you say that I am? Don't go preach a gospel. That's godless. Don't go preach a gospel. That isn't grounded. In Christ being God. Who do you say that I am? Are you going to run out into the world. And start preaching a message. that I'm John the Baptist. What's that going to do for anybody? He was preparing them to preach to a fallen nation, literally a nation who had crashed before Almighty God. He was preparing his disciples to go out into the world with the greatest mission to all humanity, to preach the gospel. But that question was loaded. Who do men say that I am? Before you go, before I send you out, before the Spirit comes down, who am I? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's that point right there in which he was being handled at the praetorium before Ida. It's that very point right there. And Jesus answered Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And Jesus didn't rebuke Peter for his answer, but he instead he blessed him. He agreed with him. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one to remain silent that he was Jesus the Christ. Why? Because he had not risen from the dead yet. Because he had not empowered them to do so yet. And this is where we're going with the entire situation that's taking place in the praetorium. Jesus even makes a claim that those who are accusing him actually knew at some level who he was. I understand the doctrine of total depravity. I understand that men are dead in their sins. I understand that they're blind. They cannot see. But once again, as we talked earlier, men know that God exists. Christ being the truth, the embodiment of truth, the manifestation of truth, was speaking to them. He spoke a parable against the wicked vine dressers when he said the chief priests and the scribes knew what Jesus meant. In Luke 20, 9 through 19, he says, But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. Wow. But they feared the people. Hear me now. For they knew. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They knew that this was an attack on them personally. In Mark 8, 31, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In John 10, 26-27, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand doesn't sound like an average man speaking to me. What man grants you eternal life except God? Which man says that no one shall snatch you out of their hand but God alone? Jesus said in John 8, 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In other words, if you don't believe that I am God. You will most certainly die in your sin. And Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." And then we look at his death. Second point, we look at his death. In John 19, 39, it says, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. According to the feast of the Passover, Mark fifteen six, the Roman governor granted clemency to one criminal as an act of goodwill. Goodwill towards the Jews. from whom he he governed. The choice Pilate set before them could not have been more clear-cut. A high-profile killer and a rabble-rouser who was unquestionably guilty, or a teacher and a miracle worker who was demonstrably innocent. The crowd chose Barabbas to be released. Pilate appealed to the crowd three times to choose sensibly. The story of Barabbas and his release from condemnation is a remarkable parallel to the story of every believer in each and every one of us in this room today. To us, who sit here today and are fortunate to hear the gospel preached, are fortunate to be able to gather with the people of God because you've been saved by the precious blood of Christ. We have so much to be excited about, so much to be thrilled about, we stood guilty before God and deserving of death. But then due to the influence, due to no influence of our own, Jesus was chosen to die in our stead. He, the innocent one, bore the punishment we rightly deserved. We, like Barabbas, were allowed to go free with no condemnation. As Romans 8, 1 says, And Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. See only a culture of death would allow Barabbas to be released and have Jesus delivered up to the will of his enemies. I mean just think about that. Have you ever contemplated about that whole situation? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've thought it through and really looked at it for what it truly was, this reality, this this almost like this almost like lust of death, culture of death. This desire You know, for a godly man to hang on the cross and to die—crucifixion, as horrid as as it was—is a Roman execution. Was terrible. This whole idea that they chose Barabbas to go free just goes to show you the inclination of men's hearts are always to do evil. The depravity of man is clearly seen in that reality. Pilate was scared. The Jews were jealous and envious. Jesus told his disciples that they were living in the midst of an unbelieving and perverse generation. In Matthew 16, 4, Jesus called his days and the times that he was living in as a wicked and adulterous generation. It was no different than what we're living today. We preach the same gospel. We love the same Christ. We serve the same God. We are the same church. Jesus said in Matthew ten sixteen, just to give you an idea what the world is like if you're a true believer. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We live in a we live in a culture today very similar to those days. We look at, we live in a wicked and perverse generation now, and I don't know if it's getting any better. I'm not here to argue my eschatology, but I'm going to tell you one thing. We live in a very wicked world, in a very wicked nation, that needs the gospel of Christ. And holy men and holy women will stand out in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Do you realize that? That to live holy and righteous before our Lord, to be pleasing in His sight, means you will be displeasing to the world. As the Bible says, you'll be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. But you're not the aroma of death because you're being gross. You're the aroma of death on a gross world because you're holy and pleasing to God. Jesus went from the place of Gethsemane to the place called Golgotha. From one place To another. As Jesus entered the holy city, he neared the culmination of a long journey toward the place called Golgotha. That is to say, the place of a skull. Historians and archaeologists tell us that the little section of land called Golgotha where Jesus was crucified was actually a landfill. Everywhere you you look is a pile after pile of rotting, stinking trash. And Golgotha was the worst sort of primitive barbaric landfill possible. When the Romans were crucifying criminals, often there'd be nobody around afterwards to claim the bodies. Nobody wanted anything to do with folks who had been in trouble with the law. So the soldiers would peel the bodies off the beams and toss the corpse into a garbage heap. Then the wild dogs and the feral animals on the outskirts of the city would eat the flesh off the bones. No costly, elaborate burials were necessary. And that's the place where Jesus Christ, our Lord, was crucified. The worst sort of garbage dump imaginable. The fact that Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be with Jesus in paradise is highly significant for you and me today. You see, on that day, paradise came to a landfill. Think about that. Paradise was connected to a garbage dump. The connection was Jesus. We may be living in a garbage dump today, but paradise can still find us. Our lives may be disgustingly messy and flies may buzz all around us, but Jesus is always near. That's great news because even if we're in a really tough spot, we need to never count ourselves out. There is always hope. There's always hope. Romans 6.10 says for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Do you get that? How significant that is. That he paid the price once and for all. Colossians 2.15 says in having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. On the cross, Jesus forever defeated death. The book of Romans says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The grave could not hold Jesus. He defeated it from the inside out. He died to pay for our sins and the proof that it worked is demonstrated in the fact that he rose from the dead. The grave had to release Jesus. As it discharged him, he rose and made a public spectacle of it. He disarmed the powers and authorities that were agents of destruction and paraded them through the heavenly realm as a defeated, conquered, and powerless foe. He publicly shamed them, conquered, and crushed them. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And if you want to defeat death, hell, and the grave, believe upon the name of Christ. There is no other way you will beat the grave or beat hell or beat death if you aren't truly resting in the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The cross was a complete victory. Did you realize that this morning? Let that sink into your hearts and minds. Into your emotions, the cross was a complete victory. Do you realize that you can take a deep breath because Jesus is victorious, He completed His assignment, He fulfilled it. But He says, This in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're still in the world, right? We're still in the world, but we're born again. We've been given a new heart, a new life, a new mind, new eyes, but we're still going to live in this world until he takes us home. And then we're glorified. Jesus said in John 15, 20, remember the world. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Matthew 10, 22 says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We still got our lives to live in this world, in this dark world. And we will be persecuted. We will be rejected. We will be mocked. We will be laughed at. And some of us may even have to give our lives. In John 2.19, when Jesus was speaking to the Jews, at one point he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. you got to understand something. They didn't even understand what that meant. They thought he was talking about the physical temple but he was talking about himself. We see if they didn't understand. It doesn't matter. It's still truth. Just because someone doesn't understand doesn't mean it's not reality. It was the truth that Christ spoke. And it says, Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. In John 18, 14, Remember when even Caiaphas had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. I don't know if Caiaphas was converted. No idea, but that's true. Romans 6, 4 says, Then we were buried with him through baptism into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk. In the newness of life. And Romans six nine says we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. First John four ten says in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is used in the New Testament to describe the pacifying and placating or appeasing of God's wrath. Jesus Christ satisfied God's wrath perfectly. Do you realize that? It was absorbed in Christ perfectly. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Which brings us to the third point, the resurrection. The resurrection. We see this whole reality <clears throat> the accusations and the questions and the confrontations. But then we see Christ, He goes to Golgotha. He gives Himself there as a sacrificial Lamb of God. He was laying upon the very altar of God. Christ kept God's law perfectly. Every jot and every tittle. And for those of us who were meant to die because of our sin against God, we did suffer the death penalty, but it was in Christ. Christ died as if it was us. He took our place upon the cross, and He took upon Himself the full wrath of God. It wasn't circumnavigated around our sin, but our sin was punished. Your sin was punished. Your blasphemy was punished. Your adultery was punished. Your lust was punished. Your lying was punished. Do you understand that? Your idolatry was punished. Your murderous heart was punished upon the cross in Christ. He became sin who knew no sin. That we could become the righteousness of God. He died in our stead. And that is good news. In 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Praise be to God our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Talking about resurrection power. Jesus said in Acts 1, 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the power of Christ's resurrection working through his people today. You see, you need the power of God, the enablement of God to penetrate the world around us. See, the Spirit of God isn't given to us so we can just play games on Sunday morning. It isn't for us to be Sunday morning show-offs. By showing everybody all of our trickery and all of our gifts and all of our things... We're enabled by the power of God to go into the world, into a world that hates your guts because of what you stand for and to succeed. It is the enablement of God. It's the muscularity of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And it only comes with the resurrection of Christ. In Romans 5-6 it says, For we have been united with Him in a death like His we will certainly also be united with him <clears throat> in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Jesus said in Mark sixteen 6, Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Philippians three ten says, I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. And the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's what I want. That's what I truly desire. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I'm not going to dance around on stage, but I want his power inside of me to overcome sin. I want his power upon my conscience that I would recognize and see my own waywardness and my own sin. I want his power wrestling upon me so it would humble me and break me. That I would realize how great he truly is. That I would bow my knee to his sovereignty. And I would be participating in his sufferings, becoming like him. Do you not want to become like Christ? Not the Christ that's being peddled in all the mega churches. Most of them anyways. But the unpopular Christ. The unpopular gospel. There may not be there, there might not be any fame in this. There might not be any wealth or riches in this. You may lose your business for this. You may lose your life for this. But I want to know Christ. That's all I care about. That's all I want. That's all that really matters. At the end of your life, that's all that's going to matter. It's going to matter how many likes you've got on Instagram or how many followers you got on YouTube. It isn't going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is that your heart wants to know Christ. Where are you from this morning? Where are you from? Somewhere to ask you, where are you from? I'm not talking about your address, I'm not talking about your job occupation. I'm talking about your identity. Where are you from? Where are you from? I'm from Christ. I've been birthed by the Spirit of the Living God. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I no longer live. Jesus said to Mary. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I sure hope you do this morning because this is what we're celebrating, his resurrection, because he was God. And he rose from the dead. And the grave couldn't hold him down. And this is the Christ that I'm preaching to you this morning. Says so Romans 6, 13 says, present yourself to God. As being alive from the dead. Present yourself to God this morning, brothers and sisters, before we close. As being alive from the dead. As one who has come back from heaven. That's what your life should look like. As one who is being alive from the dead. That's what they saw in Christ. He came back. He rose again. He's alive. The stone is rolled away. Our Savior is alive. But to you this morning, have you died with Christ? Have you been planted in His death? Have you risen to the newness of life? Or are you still dead in your sin? Are you still fooling around with it a little bit and just thinking maybe I'll get right with God someday when I get time? Got all these other things before God and You've worked out excuses in your life that you can kind of permit this and permit this and accommodate this. It's okay. He accepts me anyway. It really doesn't matter. But it does matter. Because the Bible says that God will share His glory with no one. And nothing. Today I would really appeal to you as your brother in Christ and the pastor of this church that you would seriously examine your hearts and see where you stand before God if you are not His and you are just fooling yourself, you're not fooling God, you may be able to fool others with your performance, but you're not fooling God. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And in Acts 4.33, I'll leave you with this verse. With great power, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Let's pray.